Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. We're going to finish up uh, this uh, series of messages on God is good today. And uh, we spent really a significant amount of time over the past several weeks really discovering and looking at God's word about his goodness, how he wants to interact with us. Uh, and how last week we talked about how we can see the true nature of God through the life of Jesus. So all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. In the Old Testament, you see God's heart revealed, but sometimes people can be confused at looking at how God was required to interact with his people in the Old Testament. So last week we spent time saying, listen, all of the Old Testament pointed to the person of Jesus Christ. And if we can catch a glimpse of his nature, and if we can just simply follow the ways of Jesus, we will be walking out the goodness of God in our lives. So my hope really is that the majority of this congregation, if you've really laid into the scriptures, and it's not about the 40 minutes on a Sunday morning, it's about taking uh, the scriptures that are shared on Sunday, taking them home, meditating on them, looking at them, reading the, the context in which we talked about, the chapter before and the chapter after, and really letting God speak to you through those verses in the context of your own life. Do you guys understand that? This, this, this interaction that we have was never intended to be like, this is the full package message, just believe everything Kurt says and then go home and well, we'll just wait till next Sunday. Do you know, that's not what I intend for you to do. It's you take what is shared, take the scriptures that are shared, the ideas that are shared, and then let God deal with you in the best of ways, in your soul, in your heart, in your spirit, as you search through these scriptures throughout the week and throughout your prayer time. That's what we want you to do. That's how you're going to catch a glimpse of God and his goodness. You know, if we see that God wants us to prosper. We see that God wants us to walk in strength. We see that God wants us uh, to walk in victory over our circumstances. It can also, at the same time when we talk about how good God is and all of his blessings he's poured out on us, all these things he wants to do for us, it could be tempting as the church to actually conclude that this is all about us. Right? So we could talk about all the good things. And it's true, right? If you were the only person that walked the face of this earth, you should still believe that Jesus would have gone to the cross for you. And you should still believe in the power of the blood for you. And you should still believe that God knows every intimate detail of your life for your benefit and for the purpose that God has for you. But if we stop and we think that God is good and God is all of these things just for us, then we've lost the purpose. Like at the end of the day, if we think that God is all of these things just so we can get all of his stuff, then we actually fail to become what the goodness of God is supposed to do. His goodness is supposed to transform us so we become more in his image. And everything in the image of God is his goodness flows out to other people, right? He's not good for his own benefit. He's good for the benefit of others. So if we say, well, he's good for the benefit of me, that's true, but that's not everything. It doesn't stop with us. It's not so we can collect a big basket full of spiritual blessings. As we become more like the nature of God, we become more focused on the needs of other people so we can represent Jesus to a desperate, lost, dying world. The more we catch a glimpse of his goodness, the more we encounter who God is, the more we should want to share him with other people. Right? Think of, right? Yeah? Like, I'm not sure yet, Pastor Kurt. I don't really know. <laughs> it's all right if you're tired. So think about it when you find out um, good news, right? You find out someone, a couple got engaged. You find out someone's pregnant. You find out, you know, just whatever. Someone got a huge promotion. When you find out good news and it does something to you, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to find someone that you care about and you want to share it with them. So if we're, it, honestly, if we're actually taking this word and it's getting into our heart, it's getting into our spirit about who God is, how could we not want to share this with other people? Right? We get so nervous. We'll talk about the politics. We'll talk about the weather. We'll talk about sports. But we're like afraid to talk about the very thing that is transforming our life. The goodness of God through everything that we're going through permeates everything that we are, that we become like him. And yet we let it stop there sometimes. 
I believe the Lord wants us to step outside of who we are, outside of what we're doing in these walls, and actually share, actually represent the goodness of God through the message of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear the message. Last year we shared about, we don't want to play church. Success to us is not singing a, good, a few good songs and hearing a message and then going home. That's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is representing and advancing the kingdom of God into the kingdoms of this earth. So success for us is not gathering a bunch of people in this room. Success will be when you leave this room that we have 100% of our church family representing, which means to represent Jesus to people who don't know him. Because the world has distorted the message of God and the message of Jesus, have they not? You see people who have a good heart, but they hold up the signs. God's angry with sinners. God hates homosexuals. Now, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God hates homosexuality. Right? See, we distort the message of God just a little bit, and people think that God hates us. Jesus, I mean, some people, the pictures that we draw of Jesus, he's like this staunch, white, Caucasian, happy hippie, like with the smiley face. Completely weak, completely soft. No, Jesus is love, but Jesus is also truth. And truth will confront the deepest parts of your heart. Right? So we, once we catch the glimpse of the goodness of God and who he is, we now actually have the opportunity, not the obligation. No, it's the privilege to go and represent Jesus to the world. Represent who the God of the Bible truly is. The power that transforms lives. That's what we get to do. Jesus sent his own disciples, his own apostles to do this in Mark 16, 15. And I'm going to hop all over the place. If you'd like to take notes, you can write down. I think everything except for two verses are up on the screen today. It says he sent them. Who's he? Say Jesus. Sent them. Who's them? Say the apostles. Oh, wow. Say the apostles. Help me out. Help me out. This was just 11 of the apostles. Judas was already out of the picture. He had already betrayed Jesus at this time. So Jesus sent the apostles, is how that verse can read. And he sent them to do this. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We talked about this, I think, sometime last year. The word gospel, do you, do you know what that word means? Good news. So, right, you have been imparted Really good news, and not just good news about somebody else being engaged or somebody else having a baby. It's the good news that the Holy Spirit has come. The kingdom has come to transform your life. And if it has transformed your life, you should be excited enough about it to go and tell somebody else so that he can come and transform their life. Right? So we can catch the glimpse of, wow, what you've done for me, you'll actually do for somebody else in their unique situation. Right? That should, that should build the anticipation, build the excitement about going and doing what Jesus called his own followers to do. Do you know this is, this is the Great Commission? Representing, representing Jesus to a world who sees him in a distorted way is actually the Great Commission. We read it in Matthew 28, it'll be there. Jesus came to his disciples, he came to his apostles, and he's saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he passes that baton of authority to us. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. And he's saying here what we should actually do. We're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're teaching them to obey, which Pastor Juan does a great job looking at that verse. Not just obey all of the things. Not just look at a list of things he's done. But observe these things. Observe my life. You should be able to go to someone. And disciple them and say, don't just listen to the lessons we're doing. Actually watch my life. I'm walking in the ways of Jesus. So you'll learn how to follow Jesus by following me and by learning from his word and by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Well, what are we doing? We're not just representing a list of roles. We're representing, we're representing the person of Jesus. We've been given authority to do this. We haven't even just been given the message of the goodness of God and the love of God. We've actually received authority. Now, this is the catch. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew 28. Because <clears throat> there was something in here. I swear, I've, like, I've read this a hundred times, and I just saw it. I, I just, I, I, I'm sure I've read it before, but I just saw it. Fresh and again. 
We think that this verse is saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you know, I've heard it preached before. Go. Go is the great commission. Go. We're waiting for that word go. And you know what the church does? A lot of Christians wait until they feel perfect to go. Well, I don't know everything about God's goodness. I, don't, I haven't memorized all the scriptures I should. Uh, what if I mess up? What if I share my faith and they don't listen? What if I pray and they don't get healed? What if I pray for their marriage and they still get divorced, right? All these thoughts run through our head. So we're waiting for that word, go. The big commission, the big green light. Let me tell you something. When you said yes to Jesus, the word go, the, green, the light turned green. Do you understand that? You've already been sent. I need you to see this. You're not waiting for the go. That word in the original language is as you are going. Do you know what that means? As you're going about your daily life. The go isn't the strongest word in that sentence. Make disciples is the strongest phrase there. That's the command. That's the commission to make disciples. I need you to catch this because some of you are waiting until you're like, you think that you have to be super mature to actually get the green light. Holy Spirit comes in you, that's the green light. Now he's saying, now that you're following me, as you're going along in your life, in your work, in the grocery store, in your community, as you're simply following me, make disciples. Make disciples. So now what we're doing is this. We're actually representing Jesus in everything that we do. We might not be representing Jesus in everything we do right now. But if we're intentional about it and we're walking people through the word of God and we're training them up and we are living a life that is following Jesus. Now, I'm not setting some false expectation that we're perfect, but I'm saying we've been given grace to live above sin, that we can make disciples as we are going and representing the goodness of God. Oh, this isn't why I had you open it up. I stated it already. I just didn't read the verse. We're, we're waiting. We're waiting until we hit this like elite level of Christianity to be sent. I want you to see this. This, is, this. this really hit me today. It says in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. These are the apostles, guys. These are the ones that Jesus spent three and a half years with every day, discipling, training, preparing for one purpose is to send them out. And it says, this is the the NIV 1984 version. It says, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But, what does your translation say? Just call it out. Some doubted. Oh my goodness. I think I was thinking there were like 400 disciples there. And there's like a few over in the corner. No, it actually says that just the 11, just the disciples were there. They've walked with him for three and a half years. They saw his death, but more more importantly than that, they saw his resurrection. They were there whenever Thomas touched his hands, put his hand in his side. Are you guys following me? They saw and experienced the resurrected Christ. He's about to ascend back to the Father, and it says they worshiped him, but some in their hearts are still doubting. You know what amazes me? I'm not trying to exalt that. You know what amazes me? is in Jesus' mind, in his heart and his spirit, he would know that some were still not where they needed to be, and he sent them out, and then he left. So what are we waiting for? We would think, well, gee, if Jesus was right here, yeah, I would bow and I would worship. My heart would be in it. Send me out like that. No, some of them doubted, but he still sent them out. They were with Jesus. And he still, he could have said, listen, all right, I'll give you six more, Father, can I have six more months with him, Please right? We got to put you through an intensified training just this summer, and then I have to go be with the Father, guys. It's getting long. No. So in their doubt, he still sent them because it wasn't some official, now I'm in ministry. No. He's saying, as you're going, as you're going, green light is yours. Holy Spirit's coming, so as you're going, make disciples, right? So that's what we can do in our daily life. We don't have to even sign up for a ministry, That's what we do in our daily life is we send. We're sent and then we make disciples. I'm just out of shape. That's all. Look, he's preaching hard. No, I just have to get exercise. That's really all. 
I believe the way that we can do this as a church is quite practically. I believe it is by doing ministry apostolically. I believe it is by actually functioning how the Assemblies of God started uh, over 100 years ago as being an apostolic church where the main goal is not what happens in this worship service. The main goal and the successes and the testimonies are what happens out in the public, right? But we need a working model that looks like scripture. We need a working model that says, okay, Jesus really, like when you think about it, his idea of church was never to meet for an hour and a half and like say, I go to church, I follow Jesus. Well, how how do you follow Jesus? Well, I'm a member at Central and okay, so, and I'm in a group too. Like that that was never meant to be like the top of following Jesus. It was to represent him, to recreate the kingdom of God or advance the kingdom of God through what the Holy Spirit's already doing in your life. They're the working models what happened in the early church. Jesus prepared the apostles and the disciples for an apostolic church. And that was never meant to end. It was never meant to culminate with churches calling themselves different names and this and that. You don't see that. Paul doesn't write to this church and that church. He writes to the church of Colossae, the church in Ephesus. Do you know that? Like, I don't believe God looks at like, okay, this is central, and then that down there is United Methodist, and then up there is the Hill Church. No, no, we are the church of Washington. We're the church of the United States, right? Does that make sense? We're the ones that put all these factions up, and then we say we have a bigger church than you because more people gather here for 90 minutes? This isn't church. We're the church. We catch a glimpse of his goodness and we can actually walk this out with people who don't know him yet. Or with other people that know him that we think is our competition because they go to a different church. When I say the word apostolic church, I want you to two things that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we are all apostles. I'm not looking around to see who we can give the title apostle to. Does that make sense? I believe in apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I absolutely still believe that they walk in that anointing and that calling. We can be evangelistically, right? Evangelistic in our church. We can be prophetic in our church. We can be pastoral in our church. We can be studiers of the word in our church. I want to be all those things. I just think that word apostolic has a misunderstanding to it of what actually is happening here. So that's why I'm focusing on that one part. We want to be fed into and equipped by all five areas. Jesus prepared his people to be an apostolic church. So I'm not looking up and seeing, okay, so who can I give that title to? That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that we're trying to do every little thing exactly like the apostles did it. It is a different culture, but they created, Jesus created a model for them that carried over into the early church so we could follow that model as well. You guys with me so far? Last fall, I preached a message called Redigging the Wells of Revival. We talked about the history of Washington County and how that started over 200 years ago, birthed in great revival. A massive move of God worked across this county through revival of when Washington County was being started. Talking about thousands of people gathering out in the middle of the winter in the woods for people that would be preaching on these different stands around uh, around these platforms. They would just come from all areas to hear the message. In that same message, we talked about the starting of the Assemblies of God and the Isuzu Street Revival and how out of the Assemblies, their main purpose was to get the gospel message across all nations, right? Because it says the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached and then the end will come. So the Assemblies of God actually believed they were privileged enough to be partners with God in advancing the gospel message, telling the good news, representing and representing Jesus to people who don't yet know him. And then we talked about the start of this church over 65 years ago, how it was birthed in revival. It was a a group of people from Washington and Cannonsburg and different areas that wanted to come together to worship God. And in in our history, you can read, it says that guest speakers came in and revival broke out and it said many people were called into the ministry from very early on. We read a list of over 80 people that we know of, and I'm sure there's more, that have been launched into ministry from Central. And this isn't the Bible Belt, folks. This is Houston, PA. Over 80 people that we know of, and this isn't even talking about from the 40s, right? 40s and 50s. This is just even like our, re- probably like the last 30 years that we even know of. People being launched out. When we look at the history of this church, we are ascending church. 
We can't deny it when you look at what's happened. People going into ministry, and not just people in full-time ministry. It's folks like you, right, that are going back out into your businesses, into the hospitals, into the workplaces, and actually representing Jesus. You're being sent from this building. This building is just a training place. You're being sent from this to go be the church. Now, what we've also seen, and I, I realize this, when I was probably, I don't know, maybe a couple months here at Central, I, was on, I used to be on visitation, and I would uh, go to the hospital. We used to get calls. Before the HIPAA laws, we would get calls into the church about people who said they were from your church. There were like five or six visits in a row. I had no clue who these people were. You know, Denise would say, it's so-and-so, and they'd say they're from Central. So we'd go, and they'd say Central's their church family. Central's their church family. I didn't have a clue who they were. We'd come back, and we'd look at, like, the stats. Like, they hadn't been here for, like, 12 years right? But like Central was their home. And as I've met people and as I've talked to people and we see people, you know, at gatherings, whether it's weddings or funerals or whatever, like 75% of the people that were there used to go to Central at one time or another, right? Now we can look at that as we've lost people to our competition, or we can realize that God has entrusted us with like a large majority of this entire region at one time or another. And instead of them being losses, they are releases and they are investments into the kingdom. The Lord started showing me this several months ago. At churches, when people leave churches, if they're called by God to leave, to leave right, to transition to another church, the belief system has to be this. We've invested in them spiritually and we've, put, we've imparted to them everything that we could while they were here. So when God calls them to another work, that we can actually bless them as they go and release them knowing that another local work, or maybe it's national, can, uh, can receive their gifts and their ministries in a better way than we could utilize them right now. So we're not losing anybody now. What we're doing is we're releasing them into kingdom work. Do you guys see that? Oh, no, they left. Oh, do you see that? Sunset? They left our church a year ago. Now they go down the road. Now they're, now they're over there at Cecil. Okay, did we steward their lives well while they were here? If we did that, then what happens is, is we get a piece of the reward as they're ministering to other people in different churches, right? Because we're still kingdom partners with them. They didn't switch to another team. Jesus doesn't have different teams, right? This is one team. So what we do is this. We say, Father, if, if that person you know, is moving, let's say they're moving for a job. Let's say they feel called to another church. Father, you've entrusted them into, your, into our hands, right? We believe that we've done everything that we can to help them grow in Christ, to help them see the goodness of God, to learn the gospel, to encounter God. We've released them. We've blessed them in Jesus' name. But in the Spirit, we still expect to receive a portion of that harvest when it comes forth in the Spirit. A spiritual reward because we're still on the same team. We've partnered with them closely for a season and now we're still brothers and sisters with them in Christ. We have to look like this. If we're, if we're gonna truly carry out what it means to be an apostolic church, we have to be more concerned with giving than receiving. All right? And we, and, and we have to do it too as elders and, and pastors and stuff. We have to make a transition. I'm not counting how many heads are here and how much money came in, but how many heads are going back out, being sent back out into society to represent the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and how we're utilizing our money wisely to actually advance that message. It's a different mindset. Did you ever think about that with your money? Right, a lot of times we look, how much is coming in? How much is coming in? What if you set goals the opposite way? How much money, Father, will you use in my life in the next 10 years? How much money will you send out of this for ministry purposes, to advance his kingdom, to partner with missionaries and organizations? You yourself can operate apostolically without saying we're an apostolic church. No, it's Jesus. This is how he operated. That word apostle means this, sent one. It means sent one. It means messenger or one sent with the authority of another. I want to read to you some verses that have that word apostle in it so you can kind of see what they did under Jesus' ministry. In Mark chapter 3, sorry, at verse 13, I think all these are going to be on the screen here. Jesus went on to a mountainside and he called to, the, to him those he wanted. They came to him and he appointed 12. Some of your translations in parentheses or brackets would say 
whom he also named apostles. So this is talking about his first apostles. That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Do you know that this is like the primary reason? This is what Jesus did. That the apostles, that these men would be with him for what purpose? Help me out. Call out answers. They might be with him so he might do what? Send them out. Right? You join together with us so we can send you out. Success can no longer be how many people are in these seats. The success of the church of Jesus Christ is how many people are actually following the commission to be sent out. We've distorted this in the American church. I refuse, when we're at, when we're at pastors' meetings and stuff, I refuse, when I was early in my ministry, I would ask the question that 90% of pastors ask, so how big is your church? How many people are coming to your church? Why is that success? Maybe you just have the smoke and the lights that people like. How many people are being sent out for gospel ministry? That's what Jesus wanted, an apostolic people that would be with him long enough to then be sent out to preach the good news, the gospel. And it says to have authority to drive out demons. Acts 5.12, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. I want you to understand this. When the apostles were sent out to teach everyone else, to observe and obey everything that he commanded them to do, how many of you know that that should actually be in our lives? Right? Maybe you're not called into the office of the apostle or the prophet or evangelist teacher. Those things should be reproduced in our lives. Signs, wonders, miracles, the authority to cast out demons. No, they study that stuff and that's for theologians, that's for the pastors, absolutely not. No, I think the apostles actually did what they were called to do. They reproduced the ministry of Jesus in the lives of others until it came to us in 2017. So we can actually anticipate that flowing through our lives because we have him in our lives. 1 Corinthians 12. God placed in the church, first of all, apostles. Then he goes on, prophets, third teachers, miracles, uh, the gifts of healing, of helping, guidance in different kinds of tongues. So he's talking about how the church was established. Ephesians 4.11. Christ gave Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Again, I think we've distorted this. I'm four steps higher than you, and I'm talking to a few hundred people right now. So we think, what we think here is that like, I'm like higher in a realm of spirituality than you. No, what happens is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are called to come up under you to equip you to release you out into your life of ministry. Right? So we take on the greatest responsibility of a servant. We look at the business world and we think, well, they're the managers and they're the, you know, they're the boss. No, what we're to do is to come alongside of you and strengthen you and encourage you and equip you and then launch you out. To say, if you're going to go back to your work of your place of business, if you're going to go back to your community and do things, that's good. Go be released. If God calls you to another church, Go ahead, be released. If God calls you into ministry, into missions and evangelism, go and be released. Right? Do you see the American church? We want to grab and hold and hold. The apostolic church is about equipping and releasing, releasing, releasing. Are you with me? You guys okay? Now, I'm not just trying to get all you to like leave and then not come back next Sunday. <laughs> he wants me to leave the church. No, we want you to come back. Right, relationship, be equipped, be encouraged, be built up, and then go back out. But we can't have the mentality of like, who are we trying to keep? That, that, that was never in Jesus' mindset. Or he would have never have told thousands of people to eat my flesh and drink my blood and then watch them all walk away and be like, um, I had the wrong church growth method. Come on back. He wanted people with him that were going to be sent out to do ministry. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, I persevere. This is Paul now. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Again, evidence. And Jesus, many of you may not know this, but Jesus was the first, the best apostle. Hebrews 3, 1, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. We are not trying to follow the ministry of just 11 men and then Paul and then Barnabas was considered and there were other individuals named apostles. We're not trying to follow man. We're following Jesus, our first true apostle. 
So what I wanted to know was this. If we're going to be an apostolic church, if we're going to operate apostolically, how Jesus calls us to do, fulfill the Great Commission, what in the world is an apostle? Right? So then what I learned years ago by studying this, the word apostle was actually borrowed from a word used by the Roman Empire. It was a secular term. So Jesus actually took the word apostle. He borrowed it from the Roman Empire. So what would happen is this. The Roman government or the Roman Empire, they would go in and they would conquer a land. I mean, they would just beat these people up. This was like not nice. This isn't how the kingdom of God operates. But the method of the apostle is the same. So they would go and they would conquer uh, an area, a territory, a nation. And after that war, that battle was over, the Roman Empire, the emperor, would send an apostle or apostles into that area. The purpose of the apostle was to actually teach the people how the Romans did life. So they would teach them how to now make decisions, and this is how now you're going to act, and these are the traditions that we have, and these are the celebrations that we have, and these are your new holidays and when you're going to celebrate them and how you're going to celebrate them. Now, it happened by force. It happened by fear and control. But I want you to see what happened. The apostles reshaped that culture in such a way that once the apostle left and went back to the Roman Empire, that this territory looked now like the Roman Empire, and it would continue to look like it because it had been transformed. So think about that for a minute. It happened through the wrong, the wrong way. It was through fear, control, manipulation, right, force. But Jesus took that word, and he named 12 men with it. And then again, others you'll see through Scripture. And he says, you know what? You're going to be my apostles, when I leave here, my Holy Spirit comes in. You are going to be sent into the kingdoms of this world. And there's an expectation that you will actually reshape and transform what your area of the world looks like until it looks more like my kingdom. But you're not going to do it through it with force, manipulation, and fear. You're going to do it through love. You're going to do it through compassion. You're going to do it through caring for people. You're going to do it through power. So what these men actually believed and the people who are following it is that Jesus actually taught them that they could reshape culture, that they could transform the way that their area of influence looked until it looked more like the kingdom of God and less like the kingdom of earth. That's powerful. Do you know you have a hand to play in this? Right? I see, I'm looking around. I just, I just happened to glance at several teachers. Like you say, well, how do I change the world? No, 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 no. No, you take your 25 class students that you have and you spend time, you don't, I know you can't quote scripture in a secular school, but you minister through the values of the kingdom. You minister through love, through compassion. When everybody else is yelling at them, you discipline a different way according to how the Bible does it. And at the end of that year, you see the values that your classroom holds compared to the classroom of a non-believing teacher. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants you to reshape the culture in which you live until the kingdoms of this earth look more like the kingdom of God. That's the Great Commission. We, again, in success in the church, I'm running out of time and I'm nowhere near done. Success in the church is three people have raised their hand, they said yes to Jesus, right? And we're gonna have it next Sunday. We'll have it on a report, the annual report, how many people gave their life to Jesus? I don't think Jesus ever said to the apostles, go out there, ask people to raise their hand. Oh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. God sees your hand, I see your hand. All right, have a great day, and then go. No, he's looking for people who are transformed by the good news until they're actually following and walking in the ways of Jesus. Right, so there's not backsliding, and there's not, I've just fallen back into my addiction. It's not that, because I'm actually following the ways of Jesus now. Right? Do you see how our barometers of success, we might be missing what Jesus actually taught? So Jesus, when he was training his, his apostles and then his disciples at large to go out and minister to people, these are some things that he taught. When you're talking about the kingdom of God, it includes the cross, it includes the barrow, it includes the resurrection, it includes the love of God, and it includes the impending judgment of God as well. Nothing's hidden in this kingdom. It is all entailing. When you think about the kingdom of God, a kingdom is anywhere, any domain that the king has, right? 
So when Jesus healed the sick, his kingdom had come. When somebody gave their life uh, to Jesus with Paul's preaching or anybody else's preaching, the kingdom had come. When he cast out a devil and now somebody's free, the kingdom had come. So it's not just somebody raising their hand saying yes to Jesus. That's included if it's in their heart. But anything where God's rule or reign has now affected the heart and the life of a person, his kingdom had come. And when Jesus came to earth, he said, hey, my kingdom is near. My kingdom has come. In Matthew 4, 23, it says, Jesus was going throughout through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. See, he didn't die on the cross yet, so he couldn't preach about the cross, right? So he's saying, listen, I'm teaching about God's kingdom coming, God's rule and reign. Now, when the Roman government did it, they did it by force, right? They did it externally. No, you're going to do life this way. You're going to work this way. You're going to work this many hours. It's all external. How many of you know their heart didn't have to be connected to that? When the Roman apostle came and transformed culture, their people's hearts didn't have to be connected. The kingdom works differently. It's not by external force. It's by internal change. Your heart starts to change. Your heart's impacted by Jesus. Now the kingdom has come. In Matthew 10, 7, it says, as you go, this is Jesus. He says, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means is near, is approaching. So what does that mean? He actually sent them. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. None of these men stood on a platform to preach. None of these men went to a theological seminary. None of these men were called pastor or reverend or bishop. They were 12 men from all different walks of life, and nobody deserved it. And yet he said, you know what? I trust you with this message. And when you preach this message, anticipate that amazing things are going to happen. Matthew 12, 28 says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. And then in Luke 9, 2, it says, he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So when we think about this, what are we doing? If we're making disciples then we're ministering to them in such a way that they will give their heart over pieces at a time or maybe all at one time until the role and reign of Christ would come into their hearts. Now, sometimes that does happen by physical bodies being healed first and then they see the goodness of God. Sometimes they see the reality of hell, judgment, eternal separation from God, and then the kingdom comes because they repent of their sins. Sometimes it comes because there is a single mom who's working and has multiple kids and just needs a babysitter. Right? We talk, where, where is that in the Bible? No, it's called love. It's called compassion. Does this make sense? Well, I don't, I'm like really nervous about casting out a demon and praying. That, okay, find a single mom or a widow and cut their grass and say, I'm doing this because Jesus told me to. And when their heart looks at Jesus because of your works, the Bible says this, to be a light, right? Be a light in the darkness. They're going to see your good works. And what are they going to do? They're going to say, wow, that young man from Central is awesome. No, they're going to give glory to the Father because of your good works. Right? So your wife is holding the baby so the mom can go out to shop and you're cutting the grass. You're saying, praise you, Lord. The kingdom has come upon this woman today. Right? We got to get them in a Bible study. No, they're too busy right now. Cut their grass and watch their kid. And as they see the goodness of God, the kingdom of God is coming. Right? That's the good news. It's Jesus has taught me to live beyond myself and to you. I want to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 10. Just about one example when he sent them out. Just one example of a model of how we even today could be an apostolic church. Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> you can flip there. They won't be on the screen. It says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. So again, I mean, there was an absolute authority and power to do the miraculous. I want you to understand, this wasn't just Jesus, though, right? So an apostolic church understands that he equips Regular old us, normal people like you and me. He actually equips us by the Spirit of God dwelling within us to perform the miracles that he wants to perform. It's not you and I doing it. 
It's us, we're just carrying the kingdom of God with us. We're praying as we feel led and expecting the kingdom of God to come. Then it says, here are the names of the 12 apostles. I won't spend time reading all of those. It's just a list of all of the names. It's good to know them. And he goes down uh, at the end of verse five, Jesus sent the 12 apostles with these instructions. So they were actually sent out before he ever ascended. He was training them on what to do with others after he would ascend. So he sent them out. He says, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans. This is what I said earlier. We're not trying to do everything exactly to a T. Culture has changed. Our assignment's different, but we're still being sent out. He said, only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. He said, go and announce to them. This is probably important, what they're supposed to announce. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. So again, that includes salvation, healing, deliverance, love, compassion, all those things, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's all the things that we should have in us first and then release to other people. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. I believe this is a huge principle to live by if we are going to be an apostolic people is to freely give whatever we've received. So we don't grab onto things with tight hands and say, wow, God, thank you for that blessing. Let me get a bigger basket now. Oh, let me get, I need a truck now. Father, I need a whole house. Fill me with all the blessings you have. No, it's a, Father, I want you to bless me for the purpose of being a blessing to others. Do you know what happens? If you say, if you get led by the Holy Spirit and say, Father, I, you know, make a declaration of whatever, that your goal, spirit-led goal, is to give, let's say, $10,000 to missionaries over the next 10 years. You'd say, I can never do that. I don't have the income to do that. How many of you know if the Lord enables you to do that, he's going to have to funnel that money through you? So you don't have to be worried about how are you going to receive it, where are you going to do it, right? If your goal is to freely give everything that you've received, then the complete goal of receiving has now become different. It's not bigger and better. It's more and more pushing out to other people. But that also comes in the way of peace in your soul because he goes on, all the way down in verse 12, it says, when you enter a home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be worthy home, let your blessing stand. If not, take back the blessing. Another translation says, if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. There's something about the stewardship of your soul that we need to understand if we're going to be apostolic. If you are nervous and afraid about everything and you feel like life is out of control, you're going to release that to other people you minister to. Right, do you understand that? You can only give away what you have. So the, 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 the quicker and the more deep, deeply we can grasp the goodness of God and get it into us and walk in peace. Now when you go into a home and you minister to somebody, you're talking to your boss or whoever, you can actually release the peace of God. You're not like taking something out of your heart. Here you go. No, you're ministering in peace. You're releasing peace to them. We can, only receive, we can only give what we've already received. That's why we've been talking about the goodness of God before going out. So we can receive what he wants us to receive and then give it away. It's stewardship of our own souls. It says in verse 14, if any household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth, the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah will be better off than a town such as that on Judgment Day. An apostolic people, an apostolic church are not going to get discouraged by opposition or by denial. What we do is we rest in this. We are not the judge. Can you say it? Say, I am not the judge. So we have to stop judging people now. You just confessed it. I tricked you. I'm not a judge. I'm not the judge. What Jesus says is this, go, if they receive you, receive them, right? Speak peace, be a blessing to them. If they don't receive you, if they say you're a heretic, you're full of, you know, you're, you're, you're full of untruthfulness and all this stuff, this isn't true, I don't believe your message, you shake the dust off your feet, right? I'm not going to take the dirt with me wherever I'm going next. You're shaking the dirt off your feet. And you're not saying this either, let God deal with them. Vengeance is the Lord's, right? No, you continue to love them, continue to keep an open door for them. We talk to the pastors and our elders about this. When people leave our church, if they, if they leave mad, if they leave angry at us, 
We don't want to say, oh, the Lord will deal with him on judgment day. No, you're, still, you're sitting right next to him as the judge then if you're saying things like that. What we need to do, and this can happen in your own family, maybe one of your own children, right? If somebody leaves in anger, in dispute, in division, you keep your half of the bridge built so you can release peace whenever they're ready to receive your peace. So now you're not judging anybody. You're loving people like Jesus did. So at any moment, someone turns back in repentance or for restoration, we could be in a position to fulfill the Great Commission and make disciples out of them. So we're not going to get discouraged. I heard this phrase once, and I'm going to close. I heard this phrase one time, that it is really hard to discourage a dead person. Like, this isn't mind-blowing, right? It's really hard to discourage someone who's already dead. So are we dead to ourselves? Because if we're discouraged and we're offended, then something inside of us hasn't died yet. And we're still living for ourselves and not fully for Christ. If we say we're an apostolic people sent out on a mission to make disciples, then we're not doing this for ourselves. We're doing this for the glory of God. You know, these, the apostolic church, they need to be a safe place to take risks though, right? Jesus sent them out to take a huge risk. He knew some people were gonna deny them and push them away and they'd have to move on. They'd have to continue their assignment to advance the kingdom of God on this earth until he chooses to return, until he chooses to judge this world and every single person in it. That's not our decision of when he comes back. That's his. We've already been sent. We just need to take on that assignment. So I want to end with, with just some real practicalities of what a traditional church is to an apostolic church. Lizzie, I believe it's the last slide there. <clears throat> you know, we, we do. We want to equip people through training. We want to equip people through discipleship. We want to equip people through relationships. We believe that the Lord will someday have us to plant other churches, to train and help other smaller churches that are in partnership with our belief systems. We believe that we're going to be used to help entrepreneur uh, leaders to start their own businesses and just to dream but locally here, as a church, if you look at a traditional church, I'm sorry these are small, I'll read these and then we're gonna close. Everything on the left is needed, it's just not where we're gonna stop. So on the left it says, how many people are coming into the church? I'm not gonna go and brag to another pastor about how many people are coming into the church. The apostolic church says, how many people are being sent out of the church? Okay, the left is needed. We need people to come into the church or we don't have a church, right? I'm not... I'm not dismissing that, but we can't stop there. So we actually have to have ways to measure through testimony and ministries that we produce to see how many people are actually ministering outside the walls. On the left, how many ministries are within our church? We have 78 ministries. All the, all, you know, the, the Christians don't have any time to share the good news because they're always in the building being trained, right? The other one is how many ministries are actually reaching our community? We have to have ways to measure that. How many people are in groups versus how many, in, how many people that are in groups are actually launching new groups, right? If you've been in the same group for 10 or 20 years, maybe ask yourself, Lord, would you like me to start my own? I think I have enough training. On the left, do we have enough classes for everyone? That's a, that's a traditional church question. The, next, the question we need to be asking, do we have the right classes to equip our people correctly? A traditional Pentecostal church would say, how much is the prophetic used in our service? We had five messages over the last month. That's fine. That's good. But the apostolic church will say, what is the message and how are we responding? Right? So it's not concerned about who held the microphone and gave the message. The concern is, Lord, is this you? And if it's you, what is that message? And not just that, how are you empowering us to respond? Next one. What have we or how have we done it in the past? Right? Traditional church. Well, how did we do it last year? It's a question that goes on. It might happen in your family too. The apostolic church is saying, what is God saying to do now? And that doesn't mean we just change ministries every six months, but what is God saying now? How much money came in? That's important. But how much money was sent out wisely is more important. How many people got saved? How many of you know that's important? That's the entire reason of the, the good news. Don't go home and say, Pastor Kurtz, he doesn't want to be a traditional church. He doesn't care who's getting saved. No, that's the beginning. 
But raising the hands isn't the end of the statistic. What the end is, is how many people are leading others to Jesus? Right? Do we see instead, I was tempted to do it for today. We were away this weekend, I didn't have time. On the connection card, instead of just saying like, I'm here today. It's like, who did you share the gospel with this week? I, I prayed for a sick person this week. Right? And that's not to make us feel bad. I'm saying I would love to be able to actually celebrate those things. That's an apostolic church. Reshaping individual lives. We do that through discipleship. We meet one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three with people. We're reshaping individuals' lives until the role in the reign of the king is rolling and reigning in their heart. But that's not where we stop. There's actually an anticipation that they are going to do it with others. They're going to do it with others until the actual culture changes. Until our police chief can come and say, man, you know what? We did a study. And the the communities around the people that come to church at Central have lower crime. Addictions are being broken off. Marriages are being saved. Prosperity is up. They're starting new businesses, right? Do you see we can actually have that anticipation? That we're going to receive reports from people who don't even know Jesus because they see something is happening on this earth because of believing Christians. We don't have to complicate this. We just, as we go, we make disciples. We're representing who God is in our life to a desperate and lost and dying world. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we admit to you today we don't need the green light. You've given us the green light when you gave us the Holy Spirit. Father, now we just need courage. (laughs) We need boldness. Primarily, we just need revelation. We need revelation that you've actually equipped us with this. You've given us authority in this area. You've given us your love and your patience and your goodness and your kindness. You've already given us these things. So Father, I pray just two simple things today. That you will continue to graft in us your goodness. That you will continue to encounter us with your presence, with your love, with your forgiveness, with your compassion. And God, as we receive these things, I pray that we would receive them with the intention to give them away to others, knowing that as we empty ourselves out to other people, that we can come back to you and get filled up again. I thank you, God, that you are a never-ending supply of your own nature and your own character. It is your desire for us to be an apostolic people, regardless of titles and ministries and standings and jobs and anything else. You just want us to follow Jesus. Simplified in our lives today that we could just follow Jesus. In your most precious name we pray, amen and amen. Have a great week. Bless you guys. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.